Welcome to the No Risk It, No Biscuit podcast with VA and Melanie. Let's go. First five minutes now. Let's go. Set the tempo. As far as goals go, we have one. Putting the ring on our finger. This is the ultimate team game. Now, that's the beauty of football. Welcome to the No Risk It, No Biscuit podcast with BA and Melanie, where we will just shoot the shit about the NFL and anything else that comes to mind for us. So, uh, Pops, how's it going? How was your weekend? It was a great weekend. Yeah, we got down to Tampa and uh, played a little golf, watched the game, and uh, got back to the lake. So, uh, heck of a weekend. Uh, you've had a couple of good weekends. I have. Yeah, I uh, we started out in L.A. Dolphins, Chargers was week one, which was what I think was the game of the week. I might be biased, but it was uh, it was a great one. And then we were in Buffalo this last weekend. And it was my first time ever doing a game there where I didn't need to be in a parka with hand warmers all over my body. So that was a weekend. It was like all right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot early now. Who you like better, Bills or Dolphins? Oh, gosh. You mean you mean to to go on to like for the yeah. season? Yeah. Oh, that's tough. Early September say- pick. I know I, the dolphins to me seem a little bit more. Um, I trust them a little bit more right now. I, I wasn't sure about the bills after that week one loss. And I just feel like, I don't know. They bounced back. They had a good complete team win, but I just, the dolphins look unstoppable to me right now. They're like a track team. I just feel like they're well-balanced on both sides of the ball. And as long as I know we say this every week, but as long as Tua can stay healthy, I like the dolphins. I don't know. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm with you all the way. I thought, you know, for two, a man to be five and zero against Bill Belichick, there's not many guys that can say that. I mean, that's no. that's really really big, especially winning up in Foxborough. Yeah, that's a pretty uh, pretty incredible stat. By the way, have you ever had buffalo wings in Buffalo? Oh yeah, straight to the Anchor Bar. We the actually bar. we flew in for Y2K, and they brought us in a couple of days earlier because everybody thought the airlines were going to crash and everything. Oh and we're playing in Buffalo for New Year's Eve, and. Oh. Uh, so it's like yeah, it was really weird. We spent it at the Anchor Bar, and uh, hate way too many wings. You think that's the best spot to go to? I, I feel like I, we need to pull the people of Buffalo. Like, shoot me in the DMs next time I'm there. I wasn't able to get any wings this time, but next time I'm there, I need the best spot to go to. Is Anchor yeah, Bar? I mean, I'm you know me. I'm old school. I go back to the original. So yeah, Anchor Bar. Anchor Bar to me, just the atmosphere and the wings are great too. What's your uh, What's your go to wing order? My, for me, I'm I'm not a hot hot guy, just like hot and uh, or mostly a Cajun dry rub. I just oh. don't like getting messy. Yeah, I don't either. That's I, this is gonna be an unpopular opinion, but I like boneless. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't like all the bristle and the fat. And, you know, I don't like you know. I just like a nice clean like boneless buffalo wing. I like ranch and blue cheese. You know, gotta have some variety in the dipping sauce. But anyway enough about Buffalo wings. That's the the hard hitting stuff for the week. Let's talk week two in the NFL. There were some statement wins, some shocking teams sitting at 0 and two right now, but let's start with the team that you think made the biggest statement in week two. Yeah, I, I think I've already mentioned it, but I, I think two are winning up in, in new England and uh, you know, for, for Mike, Mike McDaniels to go two and zero in a road. Uh, that's a heck of a start for the dolphins. And they look, they look really, really formidable. In all three phases, I mean, they look really, really good to me. Um, and I, I, you know, that 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 that's it's hard to get to two and zero when you start when they put you on the road those first two weeks. That's big time. 
And what do you think needs to happen for them to continue to play like that? Stay healthy on both sides of the ball. You know, they can't, they can't start losing your corners or your, especially Tua. I mean, I love what Tua did in the off season to try to, to uh, eliminate some of the problems he's had with concussions. And uh, he's such a great kid. He's such a hard worker. And to think that they still need to get Jalen Ramsey back. Imagine. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's the thing. They're just going to, if they get a couple of guys back, I mean, this is how good can they be? Yeah. They're such a, I have them this weekend. Actually. I'm excited. I have Broncos at dolphins in Miami. So Probably a winnable game for the Dolphins, um, but I'm excited for that one. I think the team for me that made the biggest statement, I'm going to say Dallas Cowboys. And I know like the Giants and Jets aren't exactly the biggest test in the NFL right now, but you beat the brakes off the Giants 40 to nothing in week one. Then week two uh, against the Jets, they, okay, CeeDee Lamb, 11 catches, 143 yards. Pollard goes over 100 total yards. Um, Dak was outstanding, 31 for 38, 255, two TDs, no turnovers. And then you've got Micah Parsons. This guy is outrageous. He's unstoppable. Two sacks, one tackle for loss. Um, they just look dominant to me on both sides of the ball. And they've got a couple winnable games coming up. I think they've got, let's see here, Cardinals week three, another winnable game, Patriots week four. But I think the real test will be week five, um, a rematch in the divisional round against the 49ers in primetime. So I, uh, that's, that's tough for me to say as a lifelong Philadelphia Eagles fan, that I think the Cowboys look really good right now, <laughs> but they do. That's, uh, yeah, I, 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 I got to agree with you on that one. They, uh, they, they, they do very, very good. For the Cowboys every year, though, it's just that that those pivotal games, you know, uh, can you get the home field playoff, uh, home field advantage the whole time? But they hadn't haven't gone the road in the playoffs and not doing as well. But they that defense looks outstanding. Dan Quinn's doing a hell of a job. They look so so good. Okay, so how about which team that's sitting at zero and two is most surprising to you? I got to say the Chargers. I mean, to score 58 points and have no turnovers and, and you're 0-2, I don't know how that happens. Uh, that That's just crazy to lose those shootouts like that. Um, but for me, that that's such a talented – and they cannot fall that far behind the Chiefs to have any chance. Yeah, I, I really just don't – this is my pick too. We probably shouldn't talk about, about this ahead of time, but I, I don't understand how you give Josh Herbert this mega deal. You bring in Kellen Moore to open up the offense – Get Justin Herbert taking some more shots downfield. You've got two stud receivers in Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. You have a great offensive line. Um, defensively, two stud edge, edge rushers and, and Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack. And then the back end, you've got Derwin and you've got JC Jackson. Like this team is loaded. I understood the week one loss. I felt like the Dolphins just did a little bit more than the Chargers did, but it feels like the last two games, they've had a chance either on the final drive of the game or in overtime to close it out. And they haven't been able to do it. And I don't know why we're that surprised by this at this point, because I feel like the Chargers have shown us that this is who they are. Um, but it's frustrating because, gosh, I yeah. want them to be good. And I love Brandon Staley. I think I, this is, it's just the biggest thing is you cannot go 0-3. Right. To me, that's the big games of the week. Everybody that's 0-2, you cannot go 0 for September. Not have yeah. a chance for the playoffs. It just doesn't happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised to see the Bengals at 0-2. I'm surprised to see the Broncos. I mean, the Broncos at 0-2. Are you surprised by that with Sean Payton now and Russell Wilson? I'm just... Yes and no. I think, it's again, it's a whole new system for Russ. Yeah. You know, it's not that easy to pick up just that terminology. And and, and Sean has some long terminology. I think if anybody can swing him around, it's going to be Sean. But I don't think the Broncos are, are going to be a surprise team. Everybody thought so. 
Yeah. Um, some outstanding performances in week two. Who gets your week two game ball? Oh, the Steelers defense. Either just give it to either outside linebacker, High Smith or TJ Watt. I mean, uh, that was a hard game to watch, except if you like defense. And there was those two defense were outstanding. Just Cleveland's defense couldn't score. But uh, I got to give it to Pittsburgh's defense. Yeah. And speaking of that game, sending our thoughts and prayers to Nick Chubb. That was awful yeah, to watch. What a, what a shame. Ugh, brutal. Um, my game ball for week two, I'm giving it to Josh Allen. This guy was obliterated by the media after that week one game against the Jets. Four turnovers. I get it. He kind of deserved it. But he came back and bounced back in week two. Um, we we had that game against the Raiders last week. And I remember when we spoke with him in our meetings, he was just he was so upset and so frustrated, but he he had spent more time at the facility all week. He was extra dialed in in the playbook. He said when he would go home at night, he had deleted all the social media apps off of his phone. So he was drowning out the noise. He was like, I'll just turn on a golf video or maybe a movie. And I just felt like he was dialed in, um, went 31 to 37, 267, three touchdowns, no turnovers, 31 of those completions, those 31 completions were distributed against nine different receivers. So I just felt like he was decisive. He moved the ball. Well, um, he just looked really good to me. So he gets my game ball in that bounce back performance against the Raiders. Um, because no risk it, no biscuit is your mantra pops. Let's see the shirt, by the way, hold up the cup. Let's see the shirt. (laughs) (laughs) I want your no risk it, no biscuit play call of the week. What was the ballsiest, gutsiest, most awesome? No risk. I've got to go back to week one, go back to week one and, uh, you know, fourth and one in their own territory in the fourth quarter and Todd Bowles goes for it. Uh, in the Bucks Vikings game that leads to the 57 yard field goal. Just those two decisions, the fourth and one and the 57 yarder with a new kicker on the road, uh, prove out to be the winner. Then this past week, there is no doubt about it. it it's my man Brant Boyer and the Jets faking a punt on their 10 yard line yeah. down 10 in the first quarter to try to try to spark. He and Robert Sala, I thought, man, that, that, that took some cojones to make that call now. That was gutsy. I want to get your take on the Buccaneers a little bit right now, just while we're on topic. Baker is just so fun to watch. I love this guy. I don't know how anyone cannot like Baker Mayfield. Just what have you seen from the Buccaneers so far that you've liked most? Yeah, I, I love the way they're they're interacting. You know, going to practice the other day, they, uh, they there's a great vibe. Um, guys love Baker. He's a fighter. Uh, they believe in Kyle Trask too. But right now that. And that's another team that I think that's, um, to me, not surprised to be 2-0. And uh, team has got to stay healthy also. But Baker has brought some life to that offense. And uh, like I told him, you don't need to be trying to run any linebackers over every week, though, dude. Put some bigger shoulder pads on. But uh, you, you've already won your locker room over. You don't have to do that bravado shit. And But he's uh, – yeah, I love to watch him play. Speaking of quarterbacks that like to run linebackers over, I know this is a topic that you are very passionate about. And I want to talk about the mobile dual threat quarterback in the NFL. And you look at week two and Anthony Richardson put on a show against the Texans before leaving in the second quarter to be evaluated for a concussion. This guy's played six quarters in the NFL already looks like one of the best dual threat quarterbacks in the league. Rush for two touchdowns in the first quarter. But with that comes obviously taking a lot of hits. And I know that this debate about the value of dual threat quarterbacks is something you're very passionate about. So talk to me. Why would you not want an Anthony Richardson, Lamar Jackson, 
Jalen Hurts type quarterback running your offense? Uh, it's not that I wouldn't. You know, to me, the quarterback has to win third down in two minutes. That's the game. The game in the NFL is third down in two minutes. Um, <clears throat> the other thing is the more you put your quarterback in harm's way, a lot of harm's going to come to him. And to me, that was never an even question until it was playoff time. You know, we might run the quarterback in the red zone in a playoff game, but not make our living running our quarterback. That's what you pay these running backs for. And that's why they're not getting paid because they're getting all broken up too. If you want to shorten their career, yeah, let them run 10 or 15 times a game. You know, it just does to me, you know, Josh Allen, <clears throat> I love Josh Allen. Don't get me wrong, but he takes some crazy risks with, yeah. with his body. And it's not fair to his teammates. But the other guys, you know, Jalen, got his, he got his payday. Uh, I just want to see those guys win on third down in two minutes. Um, yeah, great athletes. Great athletes, but the history says their their career is going to be very very short. So, so what kind of quarterback are you bringing in then? Well, <clears throat> I start with Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. And, uh, <laughs> I would never call either one of them elite athletes, you know. But their quick twitch fiber in their brain works faster than anybody I've ever seen, and that's what plays the position. You don't play the position running all over the place. You play it making quick, fast decisions and being very accurate with the ball. So, it, it, any kind of body type. The two muscles that make great quarterbacks are the heart and the brain. You got to have grit all you got to have grit about you and, and be a leader. And you got to be able to make fast decisions in 1.5 seconds. Am I hot? Where am I going? What's the coverage? I mean, it's just amazing what happens in that, that two, three seconds where that ball's gone. You mentioned Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. What about Andrew Luck in that conversation? Oh yeah. Andrew's he's always up in the top of there. You know, I, I've been so fortunate. Ben Roethlisberger, one of the greatest ever. Carson Palmer. Uh, I'm going to throw Tim Couch out there too, because Tim Couch was one of my favorite guys to coach. He just got all broken up. Uh, but yeah, those guys all had it. I mean, and uh, just a, to be able to stay ahead of the other team all the time, you know, the preparation that those guys put in is unbelievable. And uh, it's, it's fun doing it with them. What are your thoughts on the, um, as an Eagles fan, I've seen this a lot, especially over the last year, the uh, quarterback sneak push the pile play. We're, we're seeing a lot more of it. Um, the Eagles used it, I believe, 39 times in 2022, converted 36 of those times using it. Um, they call it the two-cheek sneak. Do you have to have a quarterback that deadlifts 620 pounds like Jalen Hurts in order for it to work? Or like, what is the, what's, what are your thoughts on that, that quarterback push the pile play? And I, I you know, until it's outlawed, I think it's a great play because it's, it's damn near unstoppable. The offensive line gets down, everybody's trying to dive over the top, but now Jalen's very, very strong. You know, he squats like 600, 700 pounds. So he's able to push the pile with them. Uh, but maybe one of the best quarterback sneakers ever was Tom Brady. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I wouldn't say Tom is a tremendous athlete as far as running around with the ball, but uh, it's just a matter of leg strength drive and knowing when to do it. But that play, that play itself is, is damn near unstoppable. You said until it's outlawed, do you think it's eventually going to be? I think enough, enough people will start crying about it being so low. They'll make it, make a low block. They'll make some damn rule better for sure. Yeah, I, I remember um, the NFL was talking about now they're looking for any polling on the play. So like it's legal to push, but in the pile when they're watching this play, any polling um, deems it, you know, 
illegal. Um, now, now they're looking at it. That's been a rule, Mel, for, I don't know, what, 30 years? Now they're going to finally call it? Come on. <laughs> How did you like the officiating in the NFL this week? Oh, <laughs> uh, out. No, we'll just let that one fly. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, let's look ahead to week three, the matchup that you're most looking forward to. Everybody that's 0-2. Uh, like I said, I mean, the, 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 to me, the, the Vikings and the Chargers is a huge game. You know, for them and, and their divisions to go over September. Then you throw the Broncos and, and the Patriots, who you never think of being in that, in that. You just can't go over September. And then, man, this, this week is huge to get it back going, to have a chance to get back to 500 and stay within striking. You fall three games back in your division in September. It's hard to come back from. Yeah, you're right. Um, I'm excited for your Buccaneers versus my Philadelphia Eagles in primetime Monday night football. Um, yeah, I'm also excited for our game Broncos at Dolphins. Let's see if Sean Payton and Russell Wilson can get it together and pull out a win. Um, but I don't think they're, they're going to beat the Dolphins in Miami. That's going to be a, a tough test for the Broncos. Um, favorite NFL city to work or play a game in. You've been to a mall. Yeah, I, I have to say Tampa Bay, Raymond James Stadium. Uh, he won the Steelers with the Steelers, won the Super Bowl there down at the Pirate Ship Inn, and then went able to win the Super Bowl 55 there uh, in that stadium and just and watch the city embrace the Bucks again. You know, uh, I think of the legends, the, the Ronnie Barbers and the Warren Saps and John Lynch's and Derek Brooks and those guys, and then to be able to have another team to put their name in that aura with them, you know, it's just amazing. And it's such a great place to live. Tampa is booming right now. So, it, uh, yeah, I, I had to say Tampa. Indianapolis is another one of my favorites because I just love walking the city. What's the best restaurant in Tampa for someone who's visiting there the first time? Like, where do they have to go? Now, so you're going to make me piss off all my friends. I got a lot of restaurants <laughs> down there. Top but... three. Top three. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, 717. Um, that's my man, Joe Madden's place. And, okay. Uh, Ocean Prime, and then I got You got to go to the Salt Shack out on the bay. Salt Shack. What's the go-to order at the Salt Shack? Uh, mm, grouper bites. Yeah, it's everything's fresh fish sitting right. It's a little tiki bar and restaurant out on. It's 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 excellent. That sounds delicious. I when I think about my favorite NFL cities, like I feel like I have the favorite ones in terms of the stadium because as a sideline reporter, I like to be warm and dry. <laughs> So I, of course, love SoFi. I love Jerry World. I love Vegas. Um, but then there are like the cities that you love to go to, even if the stadium isn't that great because the food's great or, you know, whatever. So I love New York and L.A. I love Miami. I love to do a game at Arrowhead Stadium. I feel like that's such an awesome stadium. Um, just the the fan base is so wild and you get some good barbecue in Kansas City. I don't know. I feel like there are a lot of um, a lot of great NFL cities to uh yeah, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't throw Green Bay in there. To go to Lambeau Field is still just so iconic. And to win in Lambeau Field is even better. You know, and then get a good brat and get on the bus and go home. Yeah. Um, for our viewers, I feel like you just have such a unique perspective as an NFL head coach. And just give us sort of an inside look into what goes into a week of game prep for you. Like what is Todd Bowles going through this week, Monday through Saturday and leading up into the game, just kind of take us through a week of game prep. Yeah, it's, it's uh, it really, it's um, 
deja vu over and over and over. You know, yeah. Sunday morning, you graded that film. Most of the guys, if it's a away game, they graded on the plane now coming back. Um, for offense, and for us, we did our running game on Mondays and our blitz, all our blitz stuff. You know, the young guys would have everything broken down on the board so we could go in and get it done. Uh, defensively, they and again, you show the film to your players, get all the corrections made, put that one to bed. You got the 24-hour rule, win or lose or draw, it's gone. Coaches are gone to the next one now. The press won't let you go. They, they we don't talk about last week all the time up until Saturday, but Tuesday is a long day for most coaches. That, that's game plan day. You put it in, uh, put it up on the board, have it ready, type it up, get it, get it in the iPads off for the players to show up Wednesday morning. And normally a Wednesday is, is uh, it's a first and 10 day. Uh, for us, we did a lot of third down also. Um, a lot of teams don't. Uh, basic game plan stuff, get a good practice in, get a good lift in. Thursday, you start in your situational football, more third down, the red zone. Um, Friday is more spe specialist stuff. Uh, everything that could happen in a kicking game, you know, you go through the script, uh, goal line, short yardage, and, and a faster, more intense red zone period. Saturday, you have your walkthrough. And uh, Saturday night, give a shitty speech and let's go. A shitty speech. <laughs> And how much are you involved in each position group room, or is it more like learning how to delegate to all of your different coaches? It was very hard for me, but that word delegate will let you coach a lot longer. You know, yeah. it, uh, <laughs> when you try to do it all yourself, I found out very early that that's impossible. But uh, yeah, for me, it was mostly offense. You know, I trusted Todd or mm -hmm. when I had James Betcher, either guy, you, you, you come tell me what you think the matchups are. What's very important for this offense to help the defense which helped the special teams, which we got to win two out of three phases each week. And as a head coach, you try to put it in a position, okay, we might have to sacrifice a little this week and try to run it a little bit more, you know, to keep them off the field if possible, but play a more ball control game. And that doesn't mean run it, but you could throw it in a ball control passing game too. So just keep the ball away from them or, hey, we're going to need to score 30. Let's go right off the bat, you know. So you, you get your plan, and then each day you're looking for those specific matchups. How can I get Mike Evans on this guy? How can I get Larry Fitzgerald in, in the slot? How can I get Gronk open? What formations can we match up on their guys who might be injured? Hey, they got the young corner. They can't protect him. If we get in this formation, we got him one-on-one. -on -one. And little things like that, and you, you just put it all together. For me, Fridays were huge because the quarterback would come in. He'd scratch off any play he didn't want. Take it out. I don't care if I love it. Can't talk into it. Take it out of the game plan. And then Friday night we sit down and, and pick pick what he wants in the first 15 plays as, as passes. I'll have 15 runs. We'll make that script. And Saturday sit down, third down. Here's how I want him called, coach. Boom, boom, boom. Red zone, boom, boom, boom. So the quarterback has total ownership. Mm -hmm. I'm not calling plays like, what do you call that for? <laughs> Dude, you picked it. That's, right. that's your play. That's, right? your <laughs> that's your play. That's the accountability that I now let the quarterbacks have. And uh, so, yeah, that, that would be pretty much it. And, um, and uh, boom, it's always oh, it January already. Cause we did the same thing now for four, 16 weeks, you know, Gosh, it goes so fast. It goes so, so fast. It really is like groundhog day. And you brought up um, Larry Fitzgerald and you've coached so many amazing players and big names, but he's by far one of my favorites that you've coached. I'm curious, give us your best Larry Fitzgerald story. 
there's so many. I mean, uh, gosh, Fitzy, Fitzy's just a, an unbelievable human being. But you know, I we we made a last second kick up in Seattle to win the ball game, and he hit me, and I could feel my shoulder go out. I said, "Oh God." So I go to shake Pete Carroll's hand. I can barely lift my hand and I go in the locker room and I grab my car. Yeah, I grab the car. I said, Doc, put this back in, man. He goes, Oh, that doesn't sound good, coach. That's a lot of crunching. Oh. So we celebrate in the locker room and I said, Larry, if you tore my rotator cuff and I got to have surgery, I better be riding the baddest damn convertible all spring long and all summer. Oh, coach, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. So this goes on, and I do have to have all three of them. He tore all three of them. And oh uh, so I, uh, I can't play golf, and I teased him, teased him, teased him. And one day, Carson comes by, and I said, Carson, do you believe this dude never bought me a convertible after he tore my arm up? And he is the cheapest son of bitch coach. God almighty, yeah. He ain't buying anything. So all the kids are out for Christmas. We're, we have a walkthrough come home Saturday and, and they're all standing in the driveway. I'm like, what the hell's going on? I came around and, and there's a Mercedes Benz 550 with a big red bow that Larry bought me. Wow. And, and my, he called Chris, said, Hey, pick out the colors. He said, Larry, you're not buying him a car. He said, no, it isn't for the shoulder. He said, he made me 500 million and put me in the hall of fame. I'm buying him a damn car. Wow. And that's Larry. That's Larry. I mean, just, he's unbelievable. He's such a great, great human being and love his philanthropy and everything he's doing in in, uh, in the country right now. Do you still have the car? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's still, that's my car in Tampa. Does it have a name? Fitz. Mercedes <laughs> <laughs> name? Fitz. I love it. Any, um, any memorable, like, rookie hazing stories? Uh, yeah, well, in Kansas City, Marty had to be, he, he was, Marty Schottenheimer was big on the rookie show. Mm-hmm. And uh, there there were some, some really good acts and some really bad ones that ended up in fights. And I think that Lamar just happened to be at the one that ended up in a fight. That was the end of the rookie oh. show. <laughs> Tell us more about this. <laughs> oh, we, I think we drafted a young man from Auburn and um, might've got Coach Die in trouble. And a couple of the Auburn guys brought tomatoes when he went up to sing. They threw them at him. He jumped off the stage and a little fight broke out. And it's like, uh-oh, with tomatoes. This, isn't gonna, this isn't gonna fly too good. But uh, coaches broke it up. Everything was good the next day. Everything just one of those things. They were waiting. Oh my goodness. Well, I know um in your time on at least my broadcast crew, you did some commercial airline travel. Uh I know you're usually <laughs> on a chartered plane, but this just came to mind. I'm curious. What is your worst, most memorable airline travel story? Oh, and go with the worst stadium when we're out of StubHub. Yeah. <laughs> Supposed to catch that. StubHub. What was that place? <laughs> we're at that StubHub in that little booth. And, and uh, I forget what happened. But anyway, we You're couldn't get to the booth. We ended up having to, have to take, stay the next day and... Uh, May, it ruined the whole week for me because I didn't get back to like she's Tuesday at midnight. And uh, so it was, yeah, anything that had to do with the West coast and coming home and missing the flight that and watching Greg and I try to run that one time we had overtime in Cleveland, I think, and we're trying to run in the rain to get to the damn gate. Greg, oh Greg 73, God. I was 70. So it was not pretty. 
<laughs> yeah, that was our first game together in Cleveland. That was uh, that was a wet one. I was soaked through like four layers of clothing at the airport. I've got my coat and like wringing it out. Yeah. Where I get almost, like, <laughs> that was brutal. Oh gosh, I have so many um, horrible ones. I could write a book. I actually am. I'm probably one day going to publish a book called Airline Travel for Dummies: How Not to Be a Complete Asshole. Um, but I, I get I get people clipping their toenails next to me on the plane. The the shoes off the people who haven't showered you get like the guy with the onions and the tuna fish sandwich next to you but i have one that takes the cake i think um this was gosh almost two years ago now i was flying down to my parents place in florida and i'm boarding the plane here in nashville and it's a delta flight and i'm in comfort plus and i have a window seat i think i was like 12a and I get to my row and there's a couple already in the middle and aisle seat and they look like they have not slept. They look like they've done just about every drug in the book the night before. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be interesting. So, oh, excuse me, can I just get into the window? Thank you. I like climb over them because they don't, you know, stand up to let me in. And we take off. We're connecting in Atlanta. So this is a 40 minute flight, 45 maybe. We take off and we're not even like leveled out yet at 10,000 feet. And the woman in the middle next to me starts doing this. Oh no. He starts dry heaving. And first of all, I have a vomit phobia. I hate puke. <laughs> I used to avoid amusement parks. I used to avoid anything where someone might puke. Like if a kid puked in second grade on the carpet, I would have to call my mom to come pick me up because I hate <laughs> vomit so much. And this woman starts dry heaving and there is, we can't find a puke bag. Her boyfriend next to her is like frantically searching. I'm frantically searching. I My legs are up on the wall. I'm like crawling <laughs> on the side of the plane. If the emergency exit had been there, I would have pulled the thing and jumped out. I'm not even exaggerating. I'm full on freak out mode. So she starts puking in her hands. In her hands. So I, I'm full on like having a panic attack next to this woman. She finally gets a bag, throws up in the bag. She's wiping her hands on her black Lululemon leggings. And I have to sit next to this woman for the next 30 minutes while she is just like head in a bag covered in puke. Here's the best part. We land. She rolls up the puke bag, puts it in the seat back pocket and gets off like nothing ever happened. <laughs> and I walk on this plane and I say to the flight attendant at the entryway, I'm like, I don't even know how to explain what just happened next to me on this flight, but you have a surprise in the seat back pocket in 12B. So just warning you, you're gonna need a cleanup <laughs> crew. <laughs> disgusting. And the fact that she was so unfazed by it, I was just like, is this a normal thing? No, oh, people traveling today, it is a normal thing. It's crazy. Oh, so I'll tell you one, awful. the one you saved me the one time we came back from London. And I, I'm going looking customs. The line must be 400 deep. And you said, Don't you have mobile pass? I'm like, what's the that? Thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I got I got my app out, bought the mobile pass, got out of line, followed you. We were out in 10 minutes. That was like greatest. Then I can't find mobile pass anymore in the airport. I mean, we said I don't think they let you use it anymore. A customs line is Atlanta, oh, especially, wow. but they're they're they do a great job. But man, no, 
I, I love broadcasting. The traveling killed me. It, it was so hard. Brutal. Yeah. Another funny London story. So I used to love the London game. We Our crew would always get it every year. And I loved it because especially I love to shop and you can buy things in London and then you come back through the airport and you get the taxes back when you bring it back to the States. So you're kind of saving money when you buy like luxury goods in London. Well, Two years ago, I bought a few things and I came back and uh, in the airport, they were like, oh, we don't do the tax break thing anymore. You don't get any money back. And I was like, oh, well, that stinks. But OK, I land in Atlanta from the you know London flight and I'm down at baggage claim and I've got these bags like, you know, I've got a Dior bag and I've got this. And the, the border agent comes up to me and he's like, oh, looks like you did some shopping in London. What'd you get? And I didn't know you had to declare. I thought there was like a certain threshold on customs, but you didn't have to declare if you were under it. And so I'm like, oh, I got a wallet. I got a bag. I got this, this, this. And he's like, oh, come with me. And I'm like, oh no, what did I do? <laughs> well, <laughs> I didn't declare what I bought. So I have been red flagged at the border coming back into the States now, every time I fly in and they pull me into this little private room and they question me and they make sure I'm not sneaking any goods into the country. So now every <laughs> time I leave the country, I have to allow like three hours in Atlanta or whatever airport I'm flying through because I know I'm going to get called into the little room. And yeah, so that's my, that's my London story. How do you think about those international games, coach? They're, they're adding more. Yeah. I mean, I love the Germany. I I missed Germany last year. Chris had to have a knee replaced and uh, uh, the kids went over and the atmosphere was just unbelievable. Uh, Been to London three times. Uh, once as a broadcaster, twice as a coach, lost them both, and it was awful. <laughs> we lost our quarterback, and that was a long flight back uh, to, to Arizona. But uh, now nah, I'm all for it, man. The fans are so unbelievable, and I think uh, the more games we play in different places that they're, you know, logistically we can get to and get back, and jet lag isn't so bad for the players. But I, I really ran fired up by the Germany series. Uh, I think it's been a great move for for all the fans around the country and around the world. Yeah, it's it's fun going over there because I know our broadcast crew in particular, like when we have a game at Wembley, for example, we play this little game like what's the most obscure NFL jersey you can spot? And it's just incredible. There's jerseys from every team from the last 40 years. Um, it's fun. It's fun to see how passionate they are. You mentioned the logistics of that trip. I'm curious um, for you, like what goes into that week and how difficult is that the following week to then recover? I guess you usually get a bye week following it. Um, yeah, you, you you usually ask for the bye week after, but we've done it both ways. We, we went over Monday. I uh, had a full week of practice in London. Good for great facilities. Um had a great week of practice on the rugby fields and and I thought we we're more than ready to play and got the brakes beat off of us and lost our quarterback. Uh, uh, the other time we, we, we flew on Thursday night, try to get acclimated Friday, have a walk through Saturday and just play the game and come back. Um, I was more, I liked more getting there and get acclimated knowing that we're coming back and having an open date. Now, some of the teams not are, are declining. They're going to go East coast and go over and then come back and play the next week. I'm anxious to see how that how that jet lag hits the players. Yeah, I'm always so uh, intrigued by the the acclimating thing. Like the Raiders, for example, this last week um, to play the Bills, they spent the week at the Greenbrier just practicing and trying to acclimate to the climate and the time change and, and, and doing some team bonding activities. But they lost. Um, so I'm just it's, – it's interesting to see. Like I remember Josh McDaniels told us he felt like last year all of those – 
one o'clock East coast games, they had come out really, you know, just slow and sluggish. So he thought this would help. And, and I didn't think they came out slow and sluggish on Sunday. Um, so I do think it helped, but it's just, uh, it's interesting all that goes into the planning of the, you know, acclimating to the time zones. Yeah. When you're sitting back in the spring and you're looking at the schedule and, and all the logistics of travel, uh, we've done it a bunch of times where we asked for two West coast trips mm-hmm. and stay out West or, Give me two East Coast trips back to back. We'll go to the Greenbrier. We'll go down to IMG or something like that and, and stay on the East Coast just for the bodies. You know, that it's so hard on them to fly back and then fly back, especially a guy who's who's bruised and swollen a little bit. The flights make it worse. Uh, so staying on the East Coast makes so much sense. And there's so many good facilities on the East Coast now and the West Coast. Just just don't ask your players to come back, you know, pack for a week and, and come back home. Yeah. How valuable is that for, for like the team bonding as well? I think it's fantastic, especially early in the year. You know, uh, if I, if I was going to do it, I'd love to do it in September. Uh, if, if we were a team that didn't go away to training camp, mm-hmm. if we were a team that went away to training camp, you do all that stuff there, uh, like the Steelers and Latrobe. Uh, but then I would want it a little bit later in the year because some, you might have some new guys that you're bonding in with and young guys moving up and, and they get to see the veterans, how they're handling themselves all the time. So I think it's great, but uh, yeah, I just, uh, it's, it's something that we just got to continue to watch. And I think the really good ones know how to, how to manipulate that schedule just perfect and how to work it. Yeah. Are you golfing today? Yes. We got uh, Jake and I are going to practice round for the member guests this week. Oh, nice. Who's uh, who's the best NFL player that you've ever golfed with in terms of like their skill level at golf? Man, uh, well, Ben is Ben is really Ben Roethlisberger is really really good. Uh, uh, every kicker, every kicker, every punter, they're all really? good golfers. Yeah, and most mostly all the quarterbacks. I, I think maybe all the quarterbacks. Uh, uh, but yeah, I think probably Ben. Although Patrick Peterson taught himself how to play on a simulator and is a scratch golfer. It's amazing. I mean, he's an unbelievable athlete. He's got one of the prettiest swings and he taught himself how to play. And, uh, you know, it's like the most diehard golfer I know is Larry Fitzgerald. I mean, I, w- I would get, we would get off the plane on Saturdays on a away game. I said, where are you guys playing at? Oh, what do you mean, coach? I said, where are you playing at? Don't be late for the meeting. Okay, we'll be we'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> you just knew. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, Jake told me that you would rather um, shoot in the '80s with multiple birdies than in the '70s with a bunch of pars. No doubt, no doubt. You know that's one of the guys in Florida I play with. That's the only thing that pays out is birdies. And uh, so, yeah, you know, give me give me an eighty with five birdies. And <laughs> I told him the other day I had nine pars on the back. It was boring as hell. Well, I wish you an afternoon full of birdies, Pops. You <laughs> too. Do it for the No Risk No Biscuit podcast for week two. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. We'll see you next week.